This is unstructured. Welcome. Today we have Jan Iluga. And I hope I'm saying that right. This is a really big treat because I don't always get to interview people who I've actually met in person. And, well, we hung out together a little bit, too. Um, we had a bit of a crazy time at Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. I don't know if you remember Jan, but we ran across the city in <laughs> psycho-pouring rain, uh, running for our lives, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely remember. And it's a pleasure chatting with you. And for me, it's this. I have the same feeling as you, Eric, because I don't get to meet people in person before I interview them or after I've interviewed them that often. So it's always great. And in, in your case, it, I love the fact that we met in, pe uh, in person first. We had some laughs, we had some drinks, and now we do this interview via via the internet, which is great fun as well. <laughs> now, um, everybody, Jan is coming to us from Finland, of all places. Um, are you in Helsinki itself? or Yeah, absolutely, in Helsinki. Yeah, that's right. Okay, now you are originally from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. That's and right. And the uh, Italian region? Yeah, exactly. The, the Italian-speaking part, yeah. called The region is called Ticino. Now, everybody, this has been really helpful for Jan because he's a polyglot. Mm -hmm. And I believe you say you speak, what, four and a half languages, something like that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be five, but I wouldn't say that Finnish is what I speak fluently. So that's where the half <laughs> language comes in. And then it's, well, Italian, as you may guess, it's my mother tongue because I have this funny Macroni accent. Then I speak English, French, German, and some Finnish. Now, I have a interest in languages, even though I mostly speak one. So I guess I speak three quarters of one. <laughs> um, one, I think I asked you in person and you sort of set me straight because somebody else had said another thing is another polyglot. And I asked you, what language do you think in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I remember actually we having that conversation and I, in most time now, nowadays I think in English because uh, I did my graduate studies or master studies, depending on which part of the world you're from. In English, I actually wrote also my undergrad or bachelor thesis in English, even though those studies were in Italian. And it's the language I use pretty much all of the time. I use it for interviews, whether I'm the host, I'm the guest, I use it for work, I use it with my clients, I use it with most of my friends here in Finland. And yeah, I've, it's it's a very weird thing, but I now find myself having conversations in my mother tongue, Italian, and having to ask my friends, hey, how do you say this word in Italian again? In English is this. <laughs> and I've noticed a good friend of mine who's Italian and uh, lived in Australia for a year. I've noticed she had kind of the same situation, <laughs> which is quite funny to think that you kind of lose the ability of speaking your language fluently, which is crazy because it's the language you grew up with and everything. Well, that's interesting. It does kind of make sense. Um, the friend of mine, um, Leighton, who does speak um, multiple languages, I think seven or nine or something, he actually does Skype training five days a week, a different language every day. Wow. Just to kind of stay on top of it. So I, I can totally see what you're saying. I'm curious, though, about something. Um, you have uh, three or four languages in, in Switzerland yeah. that are official. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have four. And those are uh, French, German, Italian, and uh, English? Or? No, the fourth one is called Romance. It's like, uh, 
a sort of mix to some extent between German French and Italian uh, Italian dialect. For example, my grandmother speaks it, but it's it's that language is spoken in one out of twenty six regions, and then Italian is spoken in two out of twenty six. So that really puts things in perspective and makes you realize how kind of small of a percentage of people in Switzerland do speak Italian and or Romanche. Mm, okay. Okay. So, but when you were growing up then, because you were in the Italian region and it was a, a, a smaller region, you had to learn uh, uh, French and German as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? French first already in, in elementary school and then German in, in secondary school or middle school. Now, the reason why I'm leading down this path is I'm curious about something. Do you have an accent in French or in German? Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say so. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, most people, for example, for me, when I hear people, I have some Finnish friends who speak Italian, but I can pick up the accent. So yeah, I, I definitely have. And I think typically most people, if they speak your language and you are somebody who knows about languages a bit and you pay attention, you may be able to kind of notice uh, the accent or the intonation or, cer- or certain things that make you understand that, yeah, this person isn't a native, let's say, English speaker or French speaker or whatever. Okay. I, the reason why I ask that is that there's been a lot of um, studies on that. And I had a brain scientist on uh, Dr. James Fallon, and we discussed how when you learn languages as a child, you tend to not have an accent or very, very little, but there's a switch that flips like around 12 or 13. And if you were learning a language later, you can never really rid yourself of the accent. Hmm. Interesting. Never heard of that. So, and I was wondering if you happen to learn English later in life than earlier. No, I actually, the very first, so in Switzerland, I have to admit now, I don't know if things have changed. I'm 31. And when I was at school, we learned English, I think, on the last year of secondary school or middle school. So quite late compared to countries like Finland, where I think they learn already like in second grade or or third grade. But I did uh, attend some kind of English summer courses in London. But yeah, I think even then I had I had probably an accent anyways. Okay, and I, I'm not criticizing. It's just yeah, it's no, so fascinating. Absolutely, yeah, no, no, and and I don't have any. You know, I take pride in my, in my accent. I just say, well, you know, it's that kind of. It gives a twist, and you know, there is nothing I can do really. I, I wouldn't have time to really kind of work on getting rid of the accent. And as long as people can understand what I say, that's fine. <laughs> well, it's you, you're a fan of jazz, right? I I think accents are music. Yeah, yeah, very well said. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of of music. Uh, so many genres that I like. Jazz is definitely one of them. Indie rock and acid jazz are probably my favorite ones. But yeah, I I'm a person who could listen to music pretty much twenty four seven. Excellent. Now, that was actually what spawned your first podcast, correct? Yeah, yeah, you're right. The jazz spotlight. So even though. It includes the name jazz in the in the title. Some episodes are about jazz in the sense that I interview uh, jazz artists. I've interviewed the likes of um, Grammy Award winning artists Diddy Bridgewater, 
uh, Dave Holland, Gary Burton, and many others. But then some episodes are more focused on the business side of music. So I've interviewed music industry experts. And actually, you may remember, Eric, that we went at a music industry meetup there in, in Philadelphia as we were we were running for, uh, for our lives because of, of the rain. So some of the people who are there, for example, are people who have nothing to do with jazz, aren't musicians, but are people I've been uh, featured on my show because it caters to independent musicians and artists. Oh, wow. I know. I didn't realize that. I was delighted that I was in a dry location. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my primary focus at the time. Oh, wow. Now, um, are you still doing the jazz podcast? I think you've changed up your, your podcasting lately, correct? Uh, yeah, so... I still do it. It's in seasons because even it's something that I really like doing, but it's not the main focus of what I do business-wise. So having it in seasons allows for some flexibility to be there. But yeah, I definitely, it definitely still, as, as of today, I've published, I think, over 80 episodes or something like that. And yeah, and the, the new season is is basically ready to go with with some new artists that I haven't interviewed before some music industry experts who are coming back on the on the show to talk about new topics or to recover the topic we covered a couple of years ago but with new updates and and latest tips that are, that apply to to today that's excellent now are, do you play um an instrument or are you uh, a fan? <laughs> well i i i would say i play bass guitar but just for fun so I haven't studied. I mean, I took some courses some years ago, but unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I grew up as a as a sports kid. So I mm-hmm. didn't really play anything until I took some bass guitar lessons. I think I was 19 or 18. So I've always been into music. I grew up in a in a very musical household, meaning that my father would listen to a lot of music. But yeah, in terms of playing instruments, I mean, other than the flute in elementary school, like I think 90% of people, yeah, 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 (laughs) then uh, bass guitar and yeah, just for fun. I've played sometimes with some, with some friends, but yeah, I'm not any kind of any serious or professional musician, unfortunately. That's not unfortunate. It, it allows you to be a fan and to appreciate uh, different. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I wish I had a better level would have been a lot more fun for sure. And also here in, in Finland and Helsinki are very musical. So that's also something that sometimes I'm like, huh, had I had uh, better skills might have been interesting to find people to play with because I mean, <laughs> I'm transparent. I'm not that great that I could jam with, with, you know, everybody if somebody has a very good level they would probably be like hmm, i'm not sure this is the right person to jam with well, that's one thing cool about bass though is you, you could potentially pull back and just lay a bottom yeah yeah that's true and i mean and it's and it's i think for me at least it's really about the vibes so if i think about some of my favorite bass players some i've even seen live obviously the talent is something that, you know, there is no denying that. But I really feel that it's really about the, the groove and the vibes and the connection between the, the rhythm section, so the drummer and the bass player. So I think that even if one of the two isn't particularly, let's say, talented skill-wise, they can still mm-hmm. put on a pretty good show and have fun because of that 
kind of uh, chemistry between the two. Yeah, the bass is an interesting instrument because unless you're uh, Jaco Pistorius, the late Jaco Pistorius, um, you're really not going to be playing solo songs on the bass. The bass is very dependent on the drums or piano or or other instruments. Yeah, it's not like a guitar or piano which can go on its own. Yeah, and I mean, it's typically it's not. If you think about now, I'm generalizing a bit, but if you think about your typical band the bass typically is not the sexy instrument it's more about the drums the guitar or perhaps if there is like a horn like a saxophone or something like that the bass guitar tends to stand out more when he is doing solos or or unless he's somebody who's like really spectacular that most people know but otherwise tends to be a little bit in the background even though it's kind of the the thread, if you want, that connects the different instruments and the overall experience that the band creates. Yep, I agree. It's the glue. Yeah, exactly. But nobody looks at the glue that holds the planks together. Mm, well said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so moving on from that, you um, went to school in switzerland and got your bachelor's degree is that correct yeah yeah so i have a bachelor's degree uh, of science in communication from the Università della svizzera italiana which uh, is in lugano in the italian speaking part and then i did my graduate or my master's here in uh, in helsinki so that is a is a master's of social sciences and my major was also communication and media and that's really interesting because I, I think um, Leiden talked about it too. He got his degree in Germany, his master's. And as he put it, he didn't have to speak a lick of German. <laughs> he went out of his way to learn German because he was there. But he had classmates who never learned Germany or never learned German at all. Mm-hmm. It, it, was it like that in um, Helsinki? There was an English program? Or- yeah, yeah. So the, the master's program I I attended was actually an international one. So we were half international students, so people such as myself, people from China, from the UK, from Canada, and then half of them were, were Finns. And yeah, with the exception of language courses, the other courses were taught in English. So technically, yeah, one could have had like zero knowledge of Finnish whatsoever, and that wouldn't really have affected his or her own academic journey. That is so wild, and we are so spoiled <laughs> in, the, in terms of the states. That's unbelievable. Out of curiosity, um, with all the languages that you speak, mm-hmm. do you which language do you find the most expressive or that you can utilize to express the most concepts, if that makes sense? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, it's a bit... It's a bit difficult to answer in the sense that both French and German, I haven't... So, if you want, my skill level used to be Italian, French, English, and German. I, let's put Finnish aside. But now, okay. because I've used it for... I've, I've used it professionally. Also here, I worked for an English-language newspaper for some years... So I've used English for several years, both academically and professionally. So now my my skill level is, well, Italian, English, and French. But the problem, and well, and then German, but the problem is that I haven't really used French and German pr- 
pretty much at all since I've been here in Finland. So I've lost them, but I had a pretty good level. For example, just to put things in perspective, think that when I was in the Swiss army, I was in the German speaking part. And at some point mm. I would even make translations from German to Italian or other way around. So I had a, a good, a good level, but now my German is rusty. My French is much better in that I can still, if I watch a, a movie in French without any subtitles, I'll probably understand like 85 to 90%. But in terms of the expression, I would still have to go with, uh, with Italian, which is my mother tongue, because sometimes I notice that even though I use English fluently and I can literally say that my level of English is almost as good as a native, there are mm -hmm. certain nuances that I realize that, oh, I'm able to express myself at like 99.5%, but there is that 0.5% that I'm like, oh, I can't exactly say that thing, especially if it's like a serious conversation, for example, let's say with a friend or maybe with, a, with one's partner or something like that. Then there it's, it's Italian, but yeah, Italian and English for me are the ones that I really use to to kind of express myself in. So unfortunately, I have to discard French and German because I haven't used them much and <laughs> finish. I wish I could say finish, but that's definitely at the bottom of the options here. Well, and that's probably a case of if you don't have to, you prioritize on other things. Mm, yeah, that's true. Now, do you ever run into an I just think about it because like German has words that are so specific to the language and they describe an activity or, or a feeling like schadenfreude, which I always love because I think it's such a powerful term taking joy out of the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible term, right. <laughs> but it is unique to German. Since you know all these languages, do you ever run into that case where, wow, I'm talking to somebody English and there's this perfect term in Italian that describes it, but there's really nothing in English. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even, even for example, with Finnish, there are certain, um, certain expressions that are basically the same, exactly the same in Italian, but they're hmm. completely different in English. So certain expressions, certain says, I understand sometimes I have some friends, for example, who would use a say and, and they translate it word for word from Finnish to English. And I understand it because in Italian it's exactly the same, but in English it's not. <laughs> but I'm still, wow. yeah, yeah, but I still am able to, to kind of pick it up because I say, oh, yeah, in Italian it's exactly the same way. But I don't think that's the way one would say it in English. But yeah, there, there are definitely cases like that or certain concepts that are really expressed with one word or two words in a certain language and then they don't really have a, an equivalent in a, in another language where you can say oh yeah in in finnish we say this no it's usually like oh yeah what well, in finnish we don't really have a kind of a word or or sentence to express that we we need to use a couple of sentences to make a person understand what we mean here Well, cool. And th these are all, all these questions I'm, I'm very curious about. Um, a lot of my audience is very into culture and I feel like language is one of the harbingers of culture. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I always, I always say that, uh, 
knowing some languages, even just having some basic understanding, it's always something incredible, especially when one likes traveling, because it takes you closer to the to the place, to the culture, to the history of the culture, and to the people who are around you. So I always think it's great. Personally, I couldn't be a person who speaks nothing but one language and likes traveling the world, but kind of doesn't make any effort to to learn the, at least the basics, you know, like, hello, thank you, those kind of things. It's always nice when you're a local and you see somebody who's who's thanking you in your language and you can tell that, yeah, they're not fluent speakers, but at least they're making the effort. I think it's nice and somehow builds a connection, I feel. Yeah, I heard that um, everybody appreciates that except for the French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're really well, you know where they are yeah they're i mean picky. i mean f- french people are um, very interesting <laughs> i love the french but yeah i mean and i have some french friends as well so yeah let's say that french people are interesting to say the least <laughs> <laughs> now uh, out of curiosity but because you're of such a multicultural environment with switzerland and finland you know and being all over the place does that help you when you're interviewing people in the podcast, having a, a certain humility? Uh, yeah, I, well, I think it's something that uh, goes even beyond podcasting. I think it's really about connecting, bonding with other people, really as human beings, whether it's in your professional life, in your personal life, uh, with your friends, with your spouse, whatever. I think that there is always need for for a small compo- or big component or part of, of humility, absolutely. I mean, it has to do with one's personality, but I think that it's it's always a good thing. And for me, I have to say, I always say I'm just a regular guy from Finland, but I've had the, the honor and pleasure of interviewing Grammy Award-winning artists, New York Times bestselling authors, top entrepreneurs, and and many of them paid compliments, came back for another interview or interviewed for, for other projects of mine. And I think that that's a sign of the fact that I appreciated my attitude. So sure, being humble, being uh, having humility, but then also being a professional and having confidence and believing in, in what I do and, and basically making the interview a conversation like you and I are doing where it's p- pretty much an horizontal relationship rather than them being on a pedestal and the interview being a vertical interaction where it's all about the guest, the guest, the guest, the guest, the guest. And I don't really get to share my two cents or add the twist or, you know, or whatever the case may be. Sure. And I've obviously met you in person and we did hang out a bit together. You're Mm -hmm. a very approachable um, person in in real life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in real life, online and via podcast as well. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, granted. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to shift gears and getting into a podcast, I feel like your business has sort of pivoted. You started out interviewing entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. for a a show, um, 360 Entrepreneur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, did you you wrap that one up, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I did. And I think the reason why I did that can be uh, useful to anybody who's interested, well, in podcasting, but in anything really, because for me, that show 
had a very specific purpose. So when I started that podcast, which was my second, well, or is my second, what I did is I wanted to have an asset to grow my network of contacts. So I, for example, in terms of choosing the format, I didn't choose the interview because everybody was choosing interviews as a format for or most people were. I did it because it allowed me to be in communication with people. And that's something I did at the end of each interview. I always made sure to ask the guest if it was okay with him or her that I would connect on LinkedIn and Facebook. So I really, really worked on that. And then Mm -hmm. as I started to focus on podcasting more and more, I realized that, well, now I don't necessarily need to interview somebody for him or her to become part of my network. And then I feel that the focus of, uh, well, my focus, the focus of the content I create should be, uh, should gravitate more toward the podcasting space. So it, it just made sense. And some people told me, yeah, it's really pity because I enjoyed the show. I It really gave me inspiration. It gave me valuable information. I, I was starting a business when I found out about your podcast. I was thinking about starting a business, all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not only about the audience. Sure, it is about the audience because without people listening, there wouldn't be an audience. But it's also about how the podcast or that specific podcast or the specific topic, the specific format fits within the puzzle that is your your vision. And it doesn't matter whether you do it uh, as a as a as a profession or the podcast is an asset for your business, like in my case. Or if you do it as a side thing, as a hobby, I think the principles are still the same, to be honest. It's fascinating. I was listening to you describing your thoughts early on in another interview, and you had said that you really didn't specifically know what you wanted to do another podcast on, Mm -hmm. but you wanted to talk to the entrepreneurs and build your network, as you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And since you didn't have a specific niche thing, you're like, well, why hold back? Why wait? Let's just get going. And I came up with a theory that that podcast was another post-secondary degree for you. Hmm. I like it. (laughs) Um, And you figured out what it was you wanted to narrow in on as you talked to all the entrepreneurs. So you kind of apprenticed under them every episode. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the the attitude I had. And I mean, it's the attitude I still have, to be honest. I think there is always something that one can learn. And not only when you're the host, but when you're the guest as well. Yeah, and we were talking about that before. Um, I had um, Jordan Harbinger on, who's a pretty well-known podcaster. But I figured out when I was researching him that his actual secret success was that he was a guest. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's a great interviewer. Yes, he puts on a good show. But people discovered him because he is on hundreds of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think it's also, it's, it's very useful, even just in terms of your experience, because not only you get to discuss your area of expertise from different perspectives or you bring up case studies that are relevant to certain industries then you have to bring up different examples for other industries but it also puts you in conversations with different people with different styles with different 
ideas and different ways to approach podcasting as a medium. So I think that that really allows you to become a better communicator, first and foremost, at 360 degrees. So I think it's definitely worth looking into if one is listening to you and I, Eric, and he or she is a podcaster, but hasn't looked at the other side of the mic yet, I would hardly, uh, highly recommend they they start being a guest as well. Now, what what kind of things have you learned while guesting? Um, do you draw, draw knowledge from methodology of the host and say, wow, he did something really neat there. She did something I've never heard before. Let me take note of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, as somebody who has studied communications, I pay attention to to things that not everybody may necessarily pay attention to. Uh, well, especially when we're talking about face-to-face interaction, but even even uh, via audio, like we are doing, or via video, I've done some video in the past as well. I, and for me, I don't. I always look at uh, at the overall podcast guesting experience, or I try to from A to Z. So I don't just look at oh, okay, how was the interview? How were the questions? How was the flow? And all these kind of things. But I also look at oh, okay, what kind of system? do they have in place? Once they reached out to me and they asked and I said, yes, sure, happy to, to do the interview. How do they go about things? What tools do they use? Do they have reminders? Yes, no. What tools do they use for recording the interview? What happens after the interview? What happens once once the interview is, is published? And it's definitely, uh, it's important to always be a, a student of the game, regardless of, now we're talking about podcasting, but it's true for anything really, and always be receptive and and be curious and look at what other people are doing. Because oftentimes when you're the guest, you get value not only in terms of the exposure, so the actual interview, but you also get value because maybe there is an interesting conversation that you have before the interview or after the interview, and maybe that leads to more opportunities for you or new connections or something like that, or even a deeper connection with the actual host. Yeah, that's something I definitely believe in. I actually acquired some friendships through interviews mm-hmm. where we continue talking all the time and some more, some less, but I really enjoy personally reaching out to them or um, just chatting on the side about different subjects mm-hmm. or even just saying, hey, oh, have you thought about having such and such on your show and and just connecting people? Yeah, and I think... I'm not saying that you have to become best friends with every single person you interact with via podcasts, whether you're the host or the guest. But I think that that is the connection that then makes you their friend. So, for example, you mentioned Jordan Harbinger that you've interviewed. I've interviewed him for the 360 Entrepreneur, for the Podcast Success Summit. Then I saw him in Australia last fall where we both spoke and I've interviewed him for the Podcast Lab. And then in Philadelphia, I was like, I I was having my hands full. I was looking for something in my backpack. I hear somebody say, hey, Jan, how's it going? And it was Jordan walking by and we just gave each other fist bumps. Ah, what are you talking about? When are you presenting? Blah, blah, blah. And that's just an example. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm Jordan's best friend, but I, I see that it's always nice to see him. And I have a feeling that he also is, you know, when he sees me, it's like, hey, man, you know, nice to see you. And and uh, it, it all started because of a, of a podcast interview. So I think that that's the type of uh, 
relationship that I, I think is ideal because when somebody becomes your friend, then it's easier to do things together. For example, if Jordan were to reach out to me and say, hey, I have, I don't know, a new book out. Would you mind helping me promote it with some tweets or something like that? I would say, yeah, absolutely, because he's a friend. So I would be more than happy to help a friend out. Sure. Well, we're all fellow travelers. Mm, yeah, that's true. I have an analogy I keep bringing up all the time, but um, I consider everything to be kind of like a, a foot race or a, even more appropriately a cycling race where there may be one winner at the end, but really everybody has going is going the same direction. Everybody is covering the same distance and everybody has to help each other out a little bit along the way through drafting and things like that. Hmm. Nice. I like it. But um, now what would you recommend for a brand new podcaster starting out to get them to actually start out? What would you say? What would be the most important first step? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there is plenty of of information available nowadays. And I mean, I even have a podcast called The Podcast Lab. And if you go to thepodcastlab.com, there is the archive of episodes and the first, I think, 30 episodes or something really focus on the different layers of starting a podcast from from your goals to, to launching the podcast. So there, there is more in-depth information. But I think a mistake, I would say, that many new podcasters make is to just look at what other people are doing, but don't really applying or adding their own ingredients. So, for example, people think, ah, because Jolly Dumas is having success with <laughs> interviews, I should have an interview-based podcast. But is are interviews the right way to go about it? Why do you want to start a podcast? Are interviews something that you should go for? And I'll make you an example. With the Podcast Lab, the reason why I started that show is that I was talking about podcasting all the time, but I didn't have audio content. And I was like, well, I guess I should have a podcast about podcasting, but I didn't want to, to do interviews because I do them quite often as a guest. I was doing them for the 360 Entrepreneur, for the Jazz Spotlight. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to do another interview-based show. And I want to position myself as the expert. Hence, being a solo person on the podcast would be the best or the most suited format to do that. However, I know that different people can bring different perspectives on the same topic. So that's why I decided to still have contributions by experts, but not in the form of a typical one-on-one -on -one interview, but in the form of audio snippets that they have submitted or we have recorded together when we met at events like Podcast Movement and something like that. So I would definitely say, really ask yourself, what is it that you want to achieve with your podcast? Because that is the answer to the question is going to help you identify what's the best format to go for, what is the best type of content, how to organize your content, how to structure your podcast. And then obviously your ideal listener will come into play as well. But when you're starting out, you don't really have an audience typically. So then you really have to have a kind of 
introspective look a look at what is it that you want to achieve with your podcast and really sure look for for inspiration be curious as i said but then always come back to your center and and ask yourself would choosing format a over format b for example take me closer to what i would like to achieve with the podcast if the answer is yes great go for format a if the answer is no then you may want to have a look at uh, at format B or even at other types of formats or other types of topics or things like that. So I could talk about the technical things, about the microphone and, you know, creating a great listening experience is key. But when it comes to your own journey as a podcaster, that's the question you have to ask yourself because that's what then makes you... uh, go forward, what makes you keep coming back and creating content, what makes you always want to bring your A-game to to really create something that is unique, that stands out and impacts people's lives. But if you just go for a specific topic or a specific format because you think, okay, people are doing that, they are successful, so I can simply emulate or follow their footsteps and I'm going to get the same outcome, you're, you're you're in it for the wrong reasons. And at some point, you're going to hit a, basically a block, whether it's a month into podcasting or three years into podcasting, you're going to feel like, well, this isn't really me. This isn't really helping me. This isn't really working. And it's not that it's not working because you're no, not doing a good job, but maybe it's because w- w- the decisions you chose are basically circles, but the outcome you want is a square or a triangle. So they won't fit. That's really good advice. I kind of thought of it in a manner of do something that I can see myself doing in a year and still loving. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you if you listen to, to a podcast, it doesn't matter how many episodes they've, uh, they've published. I think that you should always hear the host with us, basically with the same motivation as episode one. Granted, Ideally, you want to host to sound much better in episode 102 compared to episode one and two. That's politics <laughs> versus enthusiasm. Right. But gotcha. Yeah. But in terms of like the, the attitude and the curiosity, if it's an interview based show or, you know, whatever the case may be, that's what comes across. And we, we were talking about podcast movement. That's what several people told me about the. Uh, when we met at Podcast Movement, they said, you know, I love your show, The Podcast Lab. I like that, you know, it's different and I love your your way of hosting it. And that's something that became a recurring theme. Most people who praised about the show, they also mentioned my way of being laid back, if you want, but still sure. being professional as something that they really enjoyed. And that's an example of me just being me. So the way I'm talking... And and you you can you know you you witness that when we met in Philadelphia the way I'm talking with you right now is the same way I talk when I'm the host is the same way I talk when I'm in person having a beer with you in Philadelphia or if I'm talking to a friend or or whoever I'm talking to that's just the way I am. Makes total sense. Now, where can people follow you so they can continue on this journey? Yeah, so I am all over social so if you're on social media i know you're gonna have the probably the links in the in the show notes page 
but you can find me all over social media. My main website is yanilunga.com and the name is spelled Y-A-N-N-I-L-U-N-G-A. So yanilunga.com. And I would say the best way to connect not only with me, but also with Eric, because I know you, Eric, are part of the Facebook group as well, and thousands of other podcasters, podcasting enthusiasts, and podcast professionals from all over the world, is to join the Podcast Growth Mastermind, which is a free Facebook group that Forbes dubbed online community to join or podcast community to join. So you're more than welcome to join us over at yanilunga.com forward slash community. So I would say that's the best way to really connect with new people, get in touch with me because I'm I'm present there. I'm active in the group. I answer questions. So go to yanilunga.com for a slash community, join the group and, you know, have a lot of fun in the podcasting space. Fantastic. And hey, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Thank you, Eric. It was as much fun as I had meeting you in person in Philly, for sure. <laughs> Hope to see you again soon, man. Likewise. Thank you. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. A fish surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you very much. You look very pretty just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. 
More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. Thank mm-hmm. you.